0: If the staff are employed by your firm directly, there's no obligation or requirement. But if you are using third-party staff, outsourcing, right, so even if that person works predominantly for you, only for you, but they're being paid through a third party, that is outsourcing and outsourcing must be disclosed to your clients. You're listening to Australia's podcast for
1: accountants. Tax Talks, the podcast to grow your firm. Welcome to episode 342 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. Your tax agent registration with the TPB, the Tax Practitioner Board. When you're registered with the TPB, Can you run several brands under this one registration? Do you have to disclose that you use overseas staff? And what about supervision and control when your staff works remotely? These are just some of the questions Deborah Anderson, a board member of the Tax Practitioner Board, the TPB, will discuss with you in this episode. The first question to Deborah is, could ABC Propriety Limited, who is registered with the TPB as a tax agent, Could ABC Propriety Limited offer tech services as XYZ and LMN and OPQ and God knows what? Here's Deborah Anderson's answer.
0: Absolutely, you can. So the TPB isn't concerned with brands. They're not concerned with trademarks or anything like that. It's all about the entity that is registered and invoicing the client. So as long as you've got your business name linked through ASIC to say, you know, company ABCD Proprietary Limited has trading names of construction accountant, e-commerce accountant, cafe accountant, all of those things, it's not an issue whatsoever.
1: So all you need is the business name linked to that legal entity that is then registered with TPB?
0: Yeah, because on your invoice, it will say, for example, cafe accountant or it will say ABC Proprietary Limited trading as cafe accountant. That is the entity. That's it. So, yeah, you can have, you know, hundreds of them and people do it all the time.
1: Is it actually possible for two entities to own one business name?
0: I don't know. It's a really good question. In fact, I was looking at that myself only this week for a client because a client has the same business name under her personal name and the same business name under her company name. And I'm like, how does that happen? So I don't know is the answer. If you can find out, please let me know.
1: (laughs) Because what I'm thinking about, for example, is if you have, for example, the brand Cafe Accountant and then, for example, you had an accountant and 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 a lawyer who both specialized and then both traded under, well, cafe accountant is not a good brand, but let's say cafe professional services. And then you had a tax agent and a lawyer and maybe a, a hospitality consultant all trading under this one business name. And then the lawyer would have their registration linked to their legal entity. And then the tax agent would have it to their legal entity, but all three entities would trade as
0: cafe services. I would think in that situation that you're probably looking at a partnership or a joint venture.
1: And so could a tax agent operate under a brand name that belongs to a partnership, so the uh, partnership is not registered, but the, uh, for example, the company that is a part of this partnership is registered or the individual, let's say the individual who is part of this partnership is registered as a tax agent, could they then still operate as a tax agent under that brand name? under that business name?
0: Yeah, look, very complex scenario is what I'll say, because my head's going, where is it again? I probably need a picture, but we do register partnerships, trusts, companies, and individuals. I think the issue would be, Heidi, and I'm not talking TPB here, if I just talk accountant to accountant, I think the issue would be here that if you're using a brand, how do you work out who the entity is behind that as a consumer, right? So if you've got several entities behind one business name, my gut feel says to me, well, wait a minute, if I've got a problem, who's responsible? Why I was talking, I would have thought it was a joint venture or a, a partnership situation that you would need. That's what I would think. Um, yes. But that's my accountant hat.
1: Yes, I actually think that's a very good point. If you operate under cafe services and and several entities use that brand name and then somebody engages cafe services for tax work, then it wouldn't be clear which of the entities are actually providing the tax
0: service. And let's have another think about that one. Actually, let's think of that in um, if we look at someone like, say, H&R block. Right. So they have franchises. Right. But they're all trading as or they're all under the banner of HR Block Block being a brand, but each one has their own legal entity. So when you deal with HR Block Lane Cove, you will get an invoice from HR Block Lane Cove. So okay. that's and how so- you know where the responsibility lies.
1: Okay. That's actually a very good example. And so do you know, and we shouldn't, let's let's use somebody else like HR Block, otherwise we I get know. Otherwise, we get a letter from HR Block. Let's say there's a different company that's called HR Cloud. Okay. <laughs> we call it HR Cloud.
0: How about we call it Tax
1: Cloud? Yeah, exactly. There's a franchise system that's called Tax Cloud. Would it be Tax Cloud that is registered as a tax agent or would it be each separate franchisee that is registered under the TPB? Each
0: separate franchisee, so it's actually the invoicing entity that needs to be registered with the TPB and that invoicing entity must have sufficient supervising agents who are also registered with the TPB.
1: Going back to our original example, in that case, cafe services would be registered with the TPB. And then the tax agent underneath would also be registered with the TPB and then the invoice would would be issued by the tax agent
0: acting underneath? I don't think so. I could be wrong though, but I would think that the tax agent individual has to be registered. The proprietary limited or the entity doing the invoicing would have to be registered. But if it's just a brand cafe services, if all the money and everything, like if it's all being invoiced through to cafe accountants, but Limited, I wouldn't think cafe services necessarily had to be because it is just a brand.
1: Just to go back to text Cloud, did you say that text Cloud itself needs to be registered with the TPB or did you only say the agents need to be registered with TPB or the companies, the
0: franchisees need to be registered with TPB? If Tax Cloud is just a brand name, it's not an entity, it doesn't need to be registered. Only the entities need to be registered and the individuals behind those entities. And so
1: I mean, TaxCloud, of course, would be an entity in itself providing franchise services, you know, running the marketing, et cetera. But they wouldn't be they wouldn't need to register because they don't actually provide tax services. They just provide services to the tax agents. It means tax cloud itself and the company
0: behind it doesn't need to be registered and this is where it gets complex Heidi if the franchise is providing supervision then they do need to then they do need to okay and that's where the difference is between a tax franchise I guess versus cafe services as a as a brand name. And I think that's differentiation is really important because if you've got a registered tax agent in their own right, that's not an issue. But if the franchise is not a registered tax agent and they're relying on tax cloud as the registered agent, not just providing marketing but also providing supervision, they then would need to be registered as well. Okay. And there are so Good. many different models, right? So when you talk franchising, it's always really interesting because the different variations that come out. And in fact, we saw one of these only recently. And I think it was actually put out in the media um, only last week, where we had a an agent in WA who was running a tax franchise business providing super uh, providing supervision to a bunch of Other entities. However, this particular tax agent, Darren Gleeson, was found to not be doing adequate supervision and control. And he was terminated by the TPB. Then what happened was we had the franchisees who had been working under the supervision of Darren Gleeson, applying for registration with the TPB, saying that their experience came by supervision by Darren Gleason, And that was just recently tested in the AAT because the TPB have taken the stance of, well, if we've terminated somebody for not having adequate supervision and control in place, how can you say that the franchisee has got appropriate supervised experience? You can't, right? So, we have been Not accepting those registrations, and it has just gone through to the AAT, and the AAT have affirmed our decisions on that.
1: Basically, means it doesn't matter so much about the brand; it's more about looking what each of the different entities do. And as soon as an entity does provide some shape or form of tax advice or tax services,
0: they need to be registered. Absolutely. So it isn't the brand is not an entity right? It's it all comes back to the actual entities. Correct. It actually is who is providing the service, who is in invoicing for the service. So, you know, you think about it even in, you know, in your own business, you might be a registered tax agent, but if you've got a proprietary limited company, it has to be registered with the TPB because the invoice is coming from your proprietary limited company. Yes. Can I actually ask you something
1: going back to this case you just outlined, how did you come across that there wasn't enough supervision? Because I can imagine that is a case in a lot of franchise systems that yes, at the start, there might be a lot of supervision, but supervising is boring. And I think um, good intentions fall wayward very quickly. I have known some people who've been in franchise system and I didn't get the impression that there was a lot of supervision either
0: there is a lot of talk about it and i know even on some of the online forums today there's been a lot of chatter about it and i was watching that with some interest but i believe in this case there were complaints from clients i'm just double check i don't actually know where that where the original information came from and often when at the tpb we get complaints from consumers we get complaints from the tax office we get complaints from other agents you know you can even get complaints from a franchisee so i I can't remember the the details of that particular where that information came from can a tax practitioner operate
1: through one entity under one brand but being registered in two different countries So, for example, let's say they're registered in Australia as a tax agent, but also in in Indonesia, for example, as a tax agent. Is that an issue?
0: No, not no issue whatsoever. As long as you're registered in Australia with the TPB, you can operate in Australia. And that also goes with even if you lived, for example, in Germany, but you were working in the Australian tax system, as long as you were registered with the TPB um, and you have a TFN, Here in Australia, then you can be a registered tax agent and operate in the Australian tax system. Okay, good. So registered Australian tax
1: agents don't actually need to work from Australia. No, Mm.
0: we're very contemporary.
1: Yes, (laughs) yes. So let's say you have a tax registration in Australia and a business name here in Australia. The same business name could also be used overseas, correct? I mean, the TPB is not really concerned about
0: what's happening overseas. It's all about the entity that is invoicing the client. And that entity needs to be registered and that entity needs to have sufficient supervision and control and enough qualified registered agents working for them to do that supervision
1: and that actually is the key word for the next set of questions and that is about supervision and control of staff who work remotely and that can be staff who work from home or staff who are in a different country and either work from home or work from a designated office i guess it's just a kind of a fluffy wording of saying S- um, sufficient supervision and control, or are there clear markers that say this is sufficient and this is not sufficient?
0: You're right; it's kind of a nebulous term. I agree with you. What is sufficient and what isn't sufficient? But I think you could, um, you can sort, certainly look at it and say there are some obvious factors. So if you looked at it and said, okay, this particular business has four hundred thousand individual income tax clients and they've got one registered agent. Is that possible? You know, you would say no chance. You couldn't do that, right? So, you do need to look at the mix of clients, okay? Because we all know a company tax return is completely different to partnership tax return, completely different to an individual tax return. So, the mix is important The checklists and the processes are really important and the number of registered agents who are doing that kind of supervision is important. So, you know, we often, in almost every case that we look at in the Board Conduct Committee, we always look at supervision and control as well because supervision and control seems to be one of the big issues that lets everyone down. You know, you grow too fast, You've taken on too many clients. Your staff is not trained enough. Correct, right? And and that's when it's like having a bag that you've just stuffed too much into and all of a sudden the seams start calming apart. You don't worry about it until something falls out of that bag. And that's what seems to happen here as well, is that people take on too much, hire too many staff, do all of that, and then don't have the processes, the foundations in place. And, you know, I think that's an age old problem for all businesses, not just tax and BAS agents. I think it's, everybody Mm. has it as well. But especially professional services. We need to be, yes, we need to be much better at that and actually take the step back and say, we need to have these processes in place. And it doesn't matter whether you're a sole practitioner, Or not, you still need to have these processes in place. And, you know, any sole practitioner can outgrow, you know, their own capabilities, you know, if if they don't know how to do something, instead of just winging it, Googling it, it's about getting, you know, assistance with it, knocking the work back if you don't have that expertise you know engaging someone to assist and if you're taking on too many people um, as in too many clients you know it's really important that you get qualified staff you have good training in place and you have good processes and good flows and good checks and balances in place and you know i can't stress that enough it is so common in what i see at the board conduct committee and it's normally good people that have just, success has almost been their failure, you know, or their Mm. downfall, I should say.
1: Yeah, Yeah. very good point. And I, I like it that you stressed processes because that really makes a difference. If you have clear checklists, for example, where the staff can go through and tick off what they did, of course, that makes a complete different story than if you, yeah, if there are no processes. The processes really make a big
0: difference. Absolutely, and you know, I've seen situations where the returns have been done and they haven't been lodged, right? So all the checklists, the returns are fine, but they were sitting somewhere and not not actually lodged for clients for years, years, right? That process is from start to finish. It's from onboarding the client, proof of identity, You know, getting, you know, doing your interviews with them every single year, asking questions, all of that kind of is so important in that, right through to lodging the return, making sure that when the assessment comes back from the ATO for an individual, for example, that it matches. Is there something that, you know, wasn't there? And one of the things that I really can't understand is why people aren't checking pre-fill before they do. Returns. And that's something I see a lot of as well. You know, really surprised at the, I don't have the statistics on me, but they were quite frightening of the number of agents that weren't accessing pre fill. And the ATO can see that. I see. So who don't use pre fill? At all. Oh, really? That surprises me. Me too, right? Isn't it like. Because that saves you a lot of time. Well, it's a lot of a lot of information that you can get on the pre-fill and often clients don't think about it. I mean, I know um, you think about these little micro-investment platforms now where they invest, you know, a couple of dollars or round up or something like that every time and they don't even think of it as an income or dividends or, you know, returns, interest or anything like that. So, you know, the pre-fill is so useful for everybody.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. Is there a difference between supervision and control regarding staff that is working remotely in Australia versus overseas? Or is it, you know, it's really the same? The,
0: the principle same- is identical, right? And it doesn't matter whether the person is sitting next to you or sitting in another country, you still need to make sure that you have all those checks and balances in place. The difference is if the person sitting next to you, they can say, Heidi, what do I do about this? All right. Whereas if they're sitting in another time zone in another country, that interaction isn't there. You can make it
1: happen. You can be on constant Skype chat, for example, and Philippines, for example, is not a big time zone difference. So you can kind of recreate this water cooler
0: talk that you hinted at. It is, but it's more than water cooler. It's the as you're working through, you know, doing a tax return, you know, blah, 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 and go, has this changed? You know, that kind of thing, mm. just being able to have that conversation real time. Yes, I know what you mean. Or overhearing a phone call. Yeah, and that's the only difference, right? But if you can, if you've got this, the processes in place to capture all that, you've got the checklist, you've got the supervision, you've got the control still. If you're just saying, here's, here's the work, knock yourself out, um, invoice me for it at the end of it, and then you just you know, invoice the, the client, don't check it, that's not adequate, hmm. right? And also doing some spot checks. So even though they are based overseas, you don't want to have to check every single thing they do, because otherwise you might as well do it yourself. But it's the spot checks, it's the spot audits that say, okay. Show me the logbook that you've used for this, you know, and just doing those kinds of spot checks. You don't have to check every label, every receipt, every, everything, but you have to do something that's reasonable, you know. And I know reasonable is the word, you know, it's so nebulous, it's crazy. What's reasonable to you is not reasonable to me. And we've talked about that previously. So, you know, using that professional judgment.
1: I assume there is no legal obligation to disclose that you that part of your staff is working
0: remotely or overseas that is up to you correct yes and no if the staff are employed by your firm directly there's no obligation or requirement but if you are using third party staff outsourcing right so even if that person works predominantly for you, only for you, but they're being paid through a third party, that is outsourcing and outsourcing must be disclosed to your clients.
1: Oh, really? So if you employ your Philippine staff, for example, through TOA, which is a very um, popular provider of overseas staff in the Philippines, if you employ your staff through TOA, you must disclose it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Whereas if you employ them directly and you pay them through word remit or Revolut or whatever, then you don't have to disclose it because they work directly
0: for you. Correct. So if you are employee-employer relationship, that's fine. But the minute there is a third party involved, then it is outsourcing and it must be disclosed to the clients. It must be in your letter of engagement if you... Have a letter of engagement, which we strongly recommend, even though it's not mandatory by the TPB. But definitely, if it's any kind of outsourcing, must be disclosed.
1: And I'm quite sure that TOA doesn't tell its clients that they need to disclose their involvement, but that's up
0: to TOA and to to their clients. Yeah, but I can tell you, I did a uh, TPB webinar last week on confidentiality and disclosure and I do cover a lot of the, the rules and regulations around that but we also do at the TPB have an incredible um, resource library of information which to be honest with you there is so much there that it can be a little overwhelming and I understand that but we do have one called outsourcing and offshoring a practice note. I really recommend anybody that's, you know, employing people um, overseas or anybody that's outsourcing, have a look at that. It does give some really good practical guidelines as well. Um, I do, I work with the team um, that produce these and we do try and keep the examples very practical and topical as well. We're always looking at changing them up so that you can use them with real life situations. Sure. And not just hypothetically. The one thing that I did want to, we we touched on this earlier was about franchising arrangements and about supervision and control of those. And what we're seeing is that there are a lot of unscrupulous, well, maybe not a lot. There are some unscrupulous franchisors out there who are basically trying to sell tax agent registration, you know, do 12 months with us, you can become registered as a tax agent in your own right. And I think one of the things I'd really like to make up and coming tax practitioners aware of is that not all supervision and control is equal. And it is, unfortunately, it is your due diligence that you need to rely on to check whether or not that all systems and processes are adequate because you don't want to be in the same situation as Darren Gleason's franchisees. Um, and he had quite a lot how many, of many? Do them. you know
1: how many roughly?
0: I believe that he had around about 100 and he mm-hmm. was the sole supervising agent. Yeah, so that's quite a lot. It is quite a lot. And you know how we were talking before about what is the number for supervision and control? You know, any reasonable person says one agent, cannot possibly be looking after 100 franchisees or running their own full-time, you know, tax franchise businesses. So it just doesn't make sense um, to anybody. You know, I just wanted to, I guess, put it out there. The TPB are very aware of it. We are doing a lot of work on it. We are, you know, trying to work out the best way of dealing with it as well. But at the end of the day, it still comes back to You You don't want to A, spend the money to get supervision and control in a franchise situation that isn't gonna count. So you've wasted your money, you've wasted your time. Um, So yeah, just be really careful if you are in those situations. I wish I had a solution. I wish I could say you can look up this particular franchise and see whether they are approved or not. That system doesn't exist. Um, So just please be aware. And if, you know, as with everything in the tax world, if it smells off, it probably is. You know, and if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. So, you know.
1: Do you have a lot of complaints around franchise systems? I am very wary of them. I've witnessed a number of franchisees who had great troubles and had to pay a lot of money to get out of a franchising system so they first paid a lot of money to get in around 20 30 40000 to get in and then they paid about twice that much or more to get out again do franchise conflicts come up a lot in your work at TPB
0: franchise conflicts don't actually come into our remit Whatsoever. So uh, the TARSOL, the Tax Agent Services Act 2009, is basically where all our jurisdiction lies. So unfortunately, franchise conflicts between franchisee and franchisor, they're not within our legislative remit. And like, and the same with, for example, if your client says, "Heidi charged me thousand dollars for this," I think it should only be two hundred that's not within our remit either. So, you know, anything to do with that kind of situation, which is why I say, be really careful when you get into those situations, because unfortunately, you know, we can't verify that that franchisor is a good franchisor um, at the TPB. It's not within our remit.
1: And remit stands for remit I just for- mean,
0: our. it's not within our jurisdiction.
1: Yeah, but what does REMIT stand for?
0: I, I'm using it sort of um, interchangeably with our jurisdiction, what we can and can't do. So we are not allowed to go outside of the Tax Agent Services Act in what we do. Everything has to be within that Act. And, you know, that it is limiting in so many ways. You know, there are other things that, you know, tax and BAS agents do that you think, wow, you know, what can we do? The only thing we can do is, you know, civil penalties. So, for example, if you're an unregistered agent, I can't sanction you, I can't give you a um, an order to do something, or terminate or suspend you because you're not registered in the first place. But I can take you to the federal court, and you know, go through the civil process there, which is really the only available area for the Tax Practitioners Board at the moment but i do know after the james review there were a lot of additional recommendations which we're still working through with the government some have been approved some haven't already but they're all being looked at welcome back so you can run as many brands as you
1: like under one tax agent registrations as long as you have the relevant business name linked to that entity that is registered with the TPB. So that means you can experiment with niches under different brands. And if you employ your staff through TOA or a similar agency, then you need to disclose this fact. But if you employ your overseas staff directly, you pay them directly, there's no middleman, then you don't have to. You don't have to disclose that your staff or some of your staff is overseas. And that leads to a topic that I really want to talk about with you. How to employ your overseas staff. Because there isn't just tour and other agencies. There's also the option to employ your staff directly. And if you do that without a middleman, when you do this, you can either create a virtual team so everybody works from home and you just talk to each other via Skype or Zoom. Or you set up an overseas office where everybody goes to work in your office. So I really want to do an episode soon about how to hire your overseas staff directly so that you have more options than just tour. And I will try to walk you through the plus and minus as I see them. Because of course, every option has plus and minus. In the next episode, episode 343, let's talk about the distinction between employees and contractors, because there has been a land-shifting court case and sam harvey of lex and lex lawyers in sydney will walk you through these cases it's very important and something is very importantly changing so we really need to talk about that until then thank you for listening and thank you to class for their support bye for now and see you in the next episode